ideas and new technology are causing seismic shifts in the media industry. Where are we headed? What does it mean? Keep listening. Media strategist Gabriella Mirabelli talks with the brightest minds in entertainment and business. Meet the innovators, the risk takers, and the disruptors on the front lines of change from Hollywood, Wall Street, Silicon Valley, and beyond. The future is coming to a screen near you. Are you ready? This is the Up Next podcast with Gabriella Mirabelli. Welcome to Up Next. I'm your host, Gabriella Mirabelli. My guest today is Tim Totora. Tim is an ex-movie producer and freelance CFO for Hollywood producers. After 30 years in the film and television industry, Tim now uses his expertise to help film and TV writers, directors, actors, producers, and crew learn how to get connected in Hollywood so they can build their networks and their careers. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. There's an old saying about Hollywood that you can make a killing, but not a living. How would you rate the truth of that statement? <laughs> well, it, it depends on what you do for a living. If you're a writer, director, actor, yes, absolutely. If you're a person who works in crew or in the background, uh, you can make a living, a really good living for a long time. It's a young person's business, but you can do it into your 30s and 40s, and it's a lot of fun. You have an ebook out that walks readers through the mindset shifts that you feel differentiate those who stagnate from those who don't. First of all, you recommend that people come at their career from a place of strength and strategy. Yeah. What does that mean, practically speaking? Practically speaking, I see a lot of people come at their career just like, I don't know what I want to do. I just want to try to figure it out. I want to do something I enjoy. I'm not sure that's good advice. I think you should find whatever you're good at and lay into it figure out what you're good at early in your career. And if the thing you're doing at the moment isn't you when you're 22 or 23 and you're not very good at it, you should probably stop and take <laughs> notice of what makes sense and where you can strategically lay into what you're good at. So that's kind of what I'm talking about when I, when I say that. And then once you figure that out, what industry is it in? Who are the players in the industry? Get to know who they are, understand the business, understand where the headquarters of that business is. You want to work in cars, you're going to go to Detroit. Want to work in advertising, you're going to be in New York. You want to mm -hmm. work in entertainment, you're going to be in LA and mm -hmm. maybe New York, but really LA. Mm -hmm. So strategically think about where the business is, who the players are, and then put yourself in a place to be able to have a conversation with those people at some point in your trajectory of your career whether it's as a sponsor, a mentor, or it's just someone who works in the business who you want to do informational interview with. It's that simple. Sometimes it's scary if you want to get started. It's scary to pass up an opportunity because mm -hmm. it's in the industry. How should you evaluate if it's on strategy? It's in the industry, but it's maybe not the thing that you thought you'd be doing. How do you evaluate whether something is a good strategic move? The answer to everything should be yes, early in your career. As long as it's not amoral or illegal, you should probably say yes to just about everything. And then look at it and evaluate it from the perspective of what am I doing? Where do I want to go? And does this fit into that? And is it going to propel my career going forward? Thinking strategically. When I was 25, well, when I was actually going back when I was 23, I worked in advertising for a couple of years. I got an advertising degree. I worked for McCann Erickson and I worked specifically on a movie account, two of them. Columbia Pictures and TriStar. I never really wanted to work in advertising. I wanted to work in physical production. Mm. I did that job for a couple of years. And when I left it, I set a goal. My goal was I wanted to be a production executive at an independent producer in Hollywood that had an overhead deal in feature or television that was a key player in the business. 
And I got that job. And my goal was to do it by the time I was 30. And I was 24 at the time. I got that job by the time I was almost 31. And it was for Oprah Winfrey. And it was exactly the job I wanted. I wrote it down when I was 24. I put it in my head. And I started talking to as many people, informational interviews that I could get about how to get to that place of being a production executive. So when I say strategically, I mean, Put the goal in your head and then work backward from what's that goal. How does this person get to that job? And the only way you're going to know that is by talking to people who are doing that job. And you literally do it in a 20-minute informational interview where you ask them one simple question. How did you get to where you are? And then you shut up and listen. And when you're finished, you say, that's amazing. And then you say, you know, I'm looking for work at an entry-level position. Here's my resume. If you don't know anybody who can help me out, feel free to throw my resume around. That's the conversation. It's 20 minutes. It's on the phone. It's in person. Whatever's appropriate. You mentioned saying yes to everything as long as yeah. it's not immoral. And one of the things that does differentiate Hollywood is sometimes people play fast and loose with the rules. Mm-hmm. And I've seen people behave in immoral ways. Now, it how is that just part of the business? What should you do if you start something and then find that your moral compass might be feeling a little uncomfortable. What I like to call is spinning. If you find yourself with your moral compass spinning because it's not headed north, which is the way to go, Hmm. then you got to look around and go, this is sleazy, man. I don't really know that I want to do this. It's hard. It's really freaking hard. And my advice to everybody is walk away from it. Figure out how to do that politically so that you are not creating collateral damage around you and for yourself. I was in one of those situations. I made the mistake of communicating to the person who was my supervisor, who was also responsible for the shitty behavior. And I didn't I didn't go above her to the studio and say, you know what? there's some issues here. I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but there's some issues here I'm not cool with. And I think I need to bow out. What's your timeline for me moving on? And what happened was my supervisor trashed me to the studio and I was about to get a job on, on another project. And that production executive had heard from my direct that I was a pain in the ass and all these problems that were about me and not her. And Mm. by the way, I was the third person in this slot over the course of about six months. So it seemed obvious that it was uh, probably her and not the people who I replaced or myself, but I blew it and I didn't go above her and just play political and make sure. So the next job I was hired on by a production accountant who hired me. And then he called me back and said, the studio just told me I can't hire you. And it was because the executive who was on the at the movie I was on previously that I was leaving was also the executive on the one I was about to get. And that mm-hmm. cost me that job, which was fine. It turned out better in the end because I wound up getting the job that led me to Oprah Winfrey. But it, it was hard. So at least it wasn't this mystery ghosting. So you had a clue as to why and then what part of your network might be a little toxic. The next mindset shift that you outline is one you call mapping. And you touched on that a little bit in your earlier answer, but building a map so you know how to navigate, you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. So how can you avoid the annoying, could I pick your brain question? You know, how do you, is it purely, how did you get where you are? Is that yeah. the only question? That's the question. That's the only question. And you're candid about it. Can I get 15 or 20 minutes to ask you about your career? And I I structure that that 
cold email or whatever it is, whether it's a cold call, an email, a DM, whatever, I structure it with, with basically three or four very simple sentences, which are, my name is Tim Tortora. I'm at the time I was a production accountant looking for work as, I don't know, a production executive. I would love to get 15 minutes of your time to talk about your career. And that's it. You have to be rel- you have to under, you have to understand the person you're communicating with their little corner of the world and make sure that what you're asking for is within their corner of the world. For Mm. example, if you're a writer, director, actor, the last thing you want to do is ask me a CFO at this point in my career, will you read my script, watch my show, come to my showcase or watch my short film? No, I can't help you. If you're an accountant and, or someone in finance who wants to work in production and you want to make a leap from some other business into physical production and entertainment, I can help you. And I get a lot of connections from people through my social and those people who actually understand where I fit into the business and don't ask me to read their script, I can help those people, especially if it's particularly in finance. So you kind of have to understand the person you're talking to their niche in the world and make sure that you're asking for something that they can satisfy, that they can do that fits into what they do. Right. That's easy. That doesn't put them out that, that they can deliver on. There's nothing worse than these open-ended, you know, people generally I've found want to help, uh, yeah, but they, do. they need to know how, and it also needs to be something that won't necessarily put them at risk. If you take up a bunch of their time. Right. Well, exactly. You also, you talk about expanding your network with serious people. And I have a question about keeping contacts alive. You know, Mm -hmm. how you've networked, you've gone, you've asked, can you recommend another person I could talk to? Right. How do you not have these be one and done conversations? First of all, you have to realize and recognize that a lot of these are going to be one and done conversations. So you're not going to develop all of them into lifelong working relationships. Mm -hmm. And I also, I don't like the term mentor. I think it's a stupid way to tell people to go do something. It's weird. It's creepy. And you may have a mentor that you work with that you don't actually say, you don't actually identify for them that they're your mentor. You just emulate their behavior, right? So there's lots of different things about that. But I think the answer to your question is I think you just need to stay friends, right? It's their work friends. You don't want to share what's going on in your life. When someone says, how's it going? The answer is amazing. It's never anything else. Even if life sucks and you're, you're part of it flushing down the toilet, your answer is I'm doing great. Even though it, it's, it, it isn't in your personal life, in your business life, that's the answer, right? So it's being, it, I think it's maintaining friendships uh, on a on a semi-personal and business level so that you're not having to call them up and go, hey, buddy, I'm looking for work. Are you are you looking for someone who does what I do? It's more like just checking in and going, oh my God, did you see, insert whatever, let's say it's Queen's Gambit in the past couple of years, right? An amazing piece of content that blew my mind. So I have a thing I can connect with people on in my industry and pick something that's very similar. Maybe it's some kind of deal in the business. Some Maybe it's some... Stay away from the gossip, obviously, the, you know, who's sleeping with who and marrying who and having kids and all that. Just find a way to have an interesting conversation. I make a list and I schedule those calls so that I keep track of those people every couple, three months. I don't have to do it all the time. I just call up and go, hey, man, how's it going? What are you doing? What are you seeing that's interesting? Here's what I saw that was interesting. And you just kind of make a sport out of it and you make friendships out of it. Business friendships. Don't confuse business and personal. They are different. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that that's very important. And I also think it's interesting what you said about gossip. I think gossip is a very dangerous thing to touch because Agreed. 
people who gossip gossip and you don't want yeah, to if you're be gossiping part of about that. that guy what are you saying about the person you're talking to to somebody else exactly exactly so i can see how i would keep these semi per, you know semi personal work relationship networky things alive because i have something to build on when you do have these cold call networking things though there do you keep in touch with them as well or are you purely just it's an information i'm using it to learn and map and listen that's it nothing I think else it's mostly the latter unless something unless you get a sense that that person wants to have a conversation or is willing and you're going to do that over time a lot of those are cold are one and dones they're just informational that's really all it is and sometimes they're recommendations and by the way the cold connection you only need one or two to spark two to six to eight down the road that spider web out from there, right? right? So it's not like you're cold calling all the time. You're only doing it. You're looking for that one or two person, one or two people who will say, yeah, I'm, I'm going to help this kid out. Let's go see wh wh what kind of conversation we can have. And then you're get, And by the way, the, the response rate for that is probably about one or 2%. So mm. you got to be hitting a hundred people if you want to see one or two, right? Right. So it, it, you're not going to be sending out six people and expecting to get three or four back. That's the point. So, and, and in the digital age, it's, it's really efficient and it's pretty easy to do. And I think you can, as long as you're not doing it just like mass marketing, and you're not making it personal at all, make that your job and keep right. track. And sometimes they're going to be one and done. And sometimes you can make a, a friendship with those people, but you're, the only way you're going to know is to just try. You and know, do you and, keep doing it even when you've gotten that job? You still oh, yeah. keep doing this. And would you say that about three months, you know, once a quarter is a good touch point frequency? Yeah. So you're not in their hair all the time, but you're not it, being forgotten either. Yeah, it depends on how high up they are. If it's somebody who's way high up in the food chain and you got lucky and you got connected, you kind of got to be careful. Check mm -hmm. in once every three months, six months, whatever makes sense. Other people that are mid-level, lower tier people. And I talk about this in my book. You know, are you going to get to the Joss Whedons of the world as a director? Probably not. Can you get to his staff writer or can you get to his assistant? Yeah. And can you make connections with those people and network within that space? Yes. But you got to know who they are. And you got to see a pattern of how often they get hired with that person over and over. And there's ways to do that with the databases and connect a lot of dots and using an Excel spreadsheet, right? So I think it depends on the level of the person you're with. If you're talking about an assistant and, or a mid-level director or below coordinator kind of thing, those people want to talk to you often because they're networking just like you are and they hear stuff all the time. So that person, I'd probably talk to them every three or four weeks, unless they mm -hmm. become really pretty close friends or a work friend. But the other pe higher up people, probably every once a quarter or twice a year, maybe. Right. Well, you do make a note that you shouldn't be asking for what everyone is asking for. Excellent. So, but asking for their story and just listening, that doesn't seem like too much of an ask. Beyond that, though, what is it that you're at? How do you differentiate? How do we craft the uniqueness from this generalized advice? What are the factors we should build into the ask? I think it's two things. I think you have to you have to you have to demonstrate that you understand their space in the world, meaning you've researched their credits. You found a piece of material that you actually like. You know, if, if you're not a Star Wars nut and this is a Star Wars producer, the last thing you want to say is, oh, my God, I love Star Wars because you might go down a rabbit hole and they catch you in a line. You're toast. Right. Mm. So pick something that is connective to you that you like, that you think is interesting, that's cool, that they've done using the entertainment example as the as the example, using entertainment as the example. 
Mm-hmm. And then second, you have to sound, you have to be relevant. You have to demonstrate your relevancy. In other words, if you want to go work in reality television, are you going to go to Spielberg? No, he doesn't do reality. Endemol does. You got to go there. You got to go to Fremantle. You have mm-hmm. to understand the nature of the business and the place you're going is so that you can demonstrate that you're relevant and that you understand how the industry is laid out and that person's place in it, right? So that in itself will help you break through 99% of the people who are communicating with them. And the only way you're going to do that is by researching it and reading and understanding. And it is time consuming and it's laborious. But when you're finished with an exercise that I would walk you through in the book, when you finish that exercise, you will have two or 300 names in your head around material that you like watching. It's based on your top 20, top 10 favorite shows or movies. And you research the people in whatever vertical that you want to work in, writer, Mm. director, actor, crew, whatever. When you do that research and you just connect, you start to connect dots, you start to see common names. And then all of a sudden you'll be out at a party with a friend who you networked at an assistant and this person will pop up, a staff writer. No one knows who many, most of the staff writers are generally, but you might have it in your head. It's like, oh my God, I heard that guy. He worked on, she worked on this show, that show with this person, that person. And all of a sudden you're, you've really shown how relevant you are and you've demonstrated skill. That's going to make you sound so much more relevant than 90% of the calls, which are, hey man, will you read my script? I want to be a writer. Right. You've actually shown that you've invested time, effort, and paid attention, that that in and of itself is differentiated and then combined with your own personal interest, which is unique to you, Correct makes sense. One question I want to go back again to the answer is yes, when you're initially getting started in Hollywood. I've found, however, that reality TV is really different from advertising, is really different from original scripted. And so if you have a sense of where you want to be, and correct me if I'm wrong, if, if you want to edit original scripted, you don't want to say yes to the reality show. Correct. Yeah. And going back to something you said earlier, I, I'm, the answer is yes, with like stars on top of it, right? In bold. <laughs> so going back to building your map, before you build your map, you got to understand what do you want to do? And you should pick one. If you want to be a writer, director, producer, that's going to happen when you've been doing it for 15 or 20 years. You're going to start out as a writer or a director or a producer, not all three, Mm -hmm. or an actor. So pick whatever the job is. And then that job needs to live in a particular vertical. Like you said, commercials, reality, hour drama, half hour sitcom, feature film, they are our verticals inside Hollywood. And you have to pick that vertical using your example as an editor. If you're an editor, You don't want to say yes to doing a reality show if you want to do our drama, but Mm. you should say yes to every opportunity on an hour drama, being a PA in production, in editorial, or being an assistant to some editor, although those are union jobs, but there are some that are just PA jobs where you drive tapes or whatever around town. That's there's less of that than there used to be, but paper still needs to get from one place to another. And Mm. so do certain elements that need to go from one place to another. Not all of it's digital yet. So there are Mm -hmm. still PA jobs and driving and go for stuff, right? So when I say yes, you have to say yes to the things that are in your vertical, in the job you want to do, and that are servicing your map in some way. And you're going to be building a map over time, by the way, that changes. And your map, when you start, is going to look a little bit incomplete, a lot incomplete. But in six months, you may have filled out a lot of that information over time. And I think writing it down and documenting it and doing it in spreadsheet where you can 
understand and get familiar with the information that you under that you can internalize at a cellular level. That's what this is about. It's about seeing it, writing it, and then repeating it. If you do those three things, you read it, you put it into a spreadsheet, and you say it. That's going to help you a long way to understanding what the landscape is. And you're not just by rote memorizing something you don't really understand. Your fourth point is to work for real people and not BS artists. What are the tells for BS artists? So the, the tell in Hollywood is, do they have money? Are they paying a lower level people 700 to $1,000 a week, which is a commensurate rate for a PA, right? Are they paying all the department heads $750 pro rata because the producer wants to get something into some film festival to make themselves millions and exp- I hate the word exploit because I'm a capitalist, but they wanted they want to steal the time and money of the people who are actually doing the job on the ground, the grip, electric, camera, set deck, wardrobe, all the rest of it. Everybody's making $750 a week. That's an opportunity to get hosed. It's mm. also an opportunity to add something new to your credits. Do it once or twice. Don't do it forever, but it puts you in a position where, look, I was a key costume designer. I was a I was a best boy electric on this particular lousy project, but nonetheless, it doesn't really matter. You at least have a credit. So that's how I like to say the difference between the two is, are they paying well? And is there money for resources for things, basic things like paper, pencils, office space, mileage? Are they paying mileage? Are they paying for cell phone reimbursement? That all says something about the people you're working with and the studios, they pay for all that. Right. Well, it's interesting, you know, talk about exposure. I say you can die from too much exposure because, you know, and so it's it's really that experience piece, right? That this is right. growing your experience. But to understand that that particular vendor organization, if they are hiring all college students, when you graduate, they will not be hiring you because they will look for the next college student. That that yeah. is not a career builder. It's a resume builder, but yes. not a career builder. Perfectly put. So how how much of the gopher intern is it just is it per project? Is it to build relationships? You still have to pay rent and food, feed yourself. Is it like acting where you're a waitress and then you also do this on the side? How do you approach that entry level person trying to get in? The entry level jobs pay well enough if you don't have a stupid lifestyle. When I say stupid, meaning, you know, driving a BMW and, you know, where you got a, you're a clothes horse and you got a closet full of stuff that you can wear something different for three months straight and no one will notice, right? Mm-hmm. That, when I say, when I say live, mo- what I'm saying is live modestly, right? Okay. In those PA, those assistant jobs, they pay pretty well. I mean, it's $30,000, $40,000 a year, sometimes a little bit less, 25 or 30. That's hard to live on in LA, at, mm-hmm. you know, depending on how you live, but it's possible. That being said, I think it's more important if you want to be an actor, director, or writer, it is more important to have a job as an assistant doing something in Hollywood. It's That's more important than having a job as a waiter or whatever. I don't think doing a non-specific or non-relevant job to your career in entertainment is helpful to your advancement. But mm. if you want to be an actor, go get a job as an extra, not a great place to, to stay, but start there. Work your way up into being a stand-in. Stand-ins get to be connected, the directors to some extent, producers. You're just in the grind, right? You're meeting the people who are making decisions about who to hire and who to pull up. As a waiter, will you ever get 
you know, will you ever get discovered at Musso and Frank's, which was a famous place where that happened for Greta Garbo, I think, or a few other people in the fifties and forties, probably not. Mm. If you're working for a producer and you want to edit or you want to act, you want to write, and you make that clear to them that that's what you want to do when you're not badgering them all the time to read your material and go to your showcase or whatever, it's an opportunity. You're in the grind. You're talking to people. You're making connections. You're talking to agents. You're talking to agent assistants. Now you have access to that to that pool of picking up a phone at Creative Artists or Gersh or whatever third tier agency. And you say, hey man, I'm an actor would you mind having a conversation with me at lunch or at coffee or whatever? I want to talk a little bit about how people wind up getting connected to casting directors, right? That's once you're in the grind and you're in the system, whether you're an assistant to some person, whether it's a director, writer, an agent, whatever, you have to be working in the business in order to make the next leap. And I think that's super important. I don't think just taking whatever job outside of entertainment is a good use of time. So here's a question then, going back to the working for real people who have real money. Yeah. You've just graduated from film school. You you can freelance and get paid a day rate to do some editing, some shooting, low level productions because you're not too expensive. Or do you get a staff job as a PA or an assistant at a company, which will give you the better route? Or do you think they're just six of one, half dozen of the other? No, they're not six, one and a half dozen another. And the answer is take the staff job. When you're starting out, you being connected to and rubbing elbows with people making decisions is your primary goal. And that's going to happen for you in the big places. You're going to have a soulless, uninteresting, badly paid job with the people above you who are making big money, and you're going to feel like you're being ripped off. And to some extent, <laughs> you might be, but get over it because what you're getting there is a Rolodex. You're getting the opportunity to meet with and talk to the people who are making decisions. And that is worth more than the job you're going to have, the title you have, and the salary you will have. How long so, do you work that job? That's that's such a really important question and so, so, so insightful. The answer, I think, is no more than a year or a year and a half. If you're working on the same desk, working as an assistant, doing the same thing for a year and a half, or even a year, you should think twice about Hollywood being your career or go find someplace else to work and do it for another three to six months. But it shouldn't be any longer than that. So people should move you up and out or they're not seeing it in you. That's Correct. kind of what you're what you're getting at. Correct. Interesting. Okay. So let's say you are doing the, the freelance gig. Let's say you didn't listen to this podcast and you've taken the freelance gig, or maybe you've worked for a while and you're doing an indie film or, or a project. You've gotten the job, you've been working away. And one of the line producers tells you that they think the productions run through the money and you better hold on to those drives until you get paid. How do you navigate getting paid without burning bridges and relationships. You talked a little bit about, you know, running into the moral compass issue, but yeah, but this is, you know, it's money, it's business. Sure. How do you do that and protect yourself? Or is there no way? And these people are unethical. Don't worry about it. What's the right answer? I think it's a little bit of both. You protect yourself by working for people who will pay you and pay on time 
if your paycheck isn't coming every Thursday and it's not right every Thursday, you got a problem. And let's say someone makes a mistake in accounting and they don't quite pay the meal penalty or they don't pay the hourly right, or they don't read your time card right. And they fix it in a day or two. Those are scrupulous people who are going to pay you who have money. It's the people who are slow roll. They're like, oh yeah, just put it on your credit card. We'll pay you back later. Never, ever do that. Get money from the production. If someone says, go out and buy $500 worth of stuff, you better have 500 cash or a credit card from them that will let you spend 500 bucks. Otherwise, do not spend your own money. That's mm. the, that, those are measures of whether money is coming or not. So I worked for almost, oh gosh, more than 20 years without ever being ripped off. And I did it because I worked for people who had money and they paid on time and they paid well. Mm. I finally got hosed because I was being a greedy idiot. I was working <laughs> as a line producer on a movie and I was like, I'm, you know, it's a $15 million movie shooting partially in North Carolina and in Mexico. And five days before principal, the producers come in and say, oh my God, we got to go to Mexico. I'm like, guys, we spent seven or $6 million setting up North Carolina. We're going to walk away from all this. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We can do better in Mexico. We can get more. We'll pick it up there. And I knew at that moment in the back of my head, I was going to get hosed. And instead of packing my bags and going home, I was like, okay, I'm making eight grand a week. I got another 20 weeks of this left. That adds up to blah, 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 blah. Okay, I'll do it. I almost got arrested. I almost got thrown in jail because they ran out of money, skipped town and stiffed the <gasps> Mexican crew. And the secretary of labor came down and said, hey man, you owe us 160 grand. If you don't get it to us by Saturday, we're going to throw you in jail. That oh, was Wednesday my night. Oh and my goodness. Like, Guys, they owe me money. So I let greed get in the way of making this right decision. I should have packed my bags in North Carolina, flown home and found another show to get on. Well, that is a great story to close. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me in conversation. The podcast webpage will have a link to your ebook. That's awesome. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. We reached the end of another episode of Up Next. I'd like to close by thanking my production team at Up Next, my friend, Rob Naughton, the voice artist who recorded our open, and of course, all of you, the members of our audience. Thank you. I'll be talking to you again next time right here on Up Next.